baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. And, of course, this was a very challenging week when it came to the the off-the-field happening after the arrest of Marcelo Zuna last week. We'll discuss that, where the Braves go from there, and everything else that's been happening for the Braves when it came to the actual games that were being played over the last week as well. Before I get into that, I want to remind you that From the Diamond can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. If you'd be so nice as to share the show with a friend, that's very much appreciated as well. On social media, follow me on Twitter, at Grant McCauley. The show is at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. On Instagram, I'm at Grant McCauley there. The show is at From the Diamond. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. Well, as we take a look back at the week that was for the Atlanta Braves, as I mentioned at the top of the show, a forgettable week for a number of reasons, and most of them didn't have as much to do on the field as most Braves fans might have been accustomed to, as it has been a frustrating season. We're going to get into all of it, and to help me do so, Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution joins me once again. Make sure you're following his work on Twitter, at GabeBurnsAJC. Uh, Gabe, it's been a couple of weeks since we were able to touch base. A lot has most certainly happened, and for the Braves, unfortunately, A lot of it was very regrettable, very not good, very unfortunate. A lot of words, and and really none of them great for the Braves in the past week. No, it's just an unfortunate situation. Uh, It's just bad for everybody involved, and now they just have to let the legal process play out. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the situation itself because it was the big news for the Braves. And Marcelo Zuna arrested in Sandy Springs last week on domestic violence charges, according to the report police witnessed as they arrived on scene at least some of this altercation. And while his wife did not seek medical attention afterward and Ozuna has been released on bond, this situation is under investigation both from the legal parameters and, of course, by Major League Baseball. Uh, The Braves have declined any further public comment on this matter and deferred all of that to the league as the investigation takes place. But uh, needless to say, Gabe, the Braves have found themselves in a very difficult situation when it comes to Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, I mean, it's a bad situation all around. You know, again, they have to let the process play out, but this is a societal problem. Mm-hmm. There's no place for domestic violence, and these sports leagues need to be better in how they handle it. They obviously can't prevent it, but uh, it's a privilege to be a pro athlete and to play for teams. And in this situation, you know, if uh, if somebody is found guilty of this, uh, if someone committed this, then you know they shouldn't have that privilege anymore. It's just a major issue in society, and it's it's really unfortunate that we're here talking about this. Yeah, it definitely is, and it's something that was unforeseen when you start looking at both the individual and, of course, things that a Major League Baseball club or really any club sets out into a season thinking about that they're going to have to deal with. But as we know, as Major League Baseball put its domestic violence policy in place about six years ago, this is certainly not the first time. In fact, there have been 13 instances previously in which Major League Baseball has levied some kind of punishment on a player for a domestic violence incident. 
And, and there's been a wide range of punishments that have been handed out. Several of these players, of course, are still active as we speak right now, playing for Major League Baseball clubs. Others have been suspended for up to 162 games in the case of Sam Dyson, who last pitched a couple of years ago for the San Francisco Giants. But uh, as you pointed out, Gabe, this is certainly a societal problem. It's something that far bigger than the baseball game. But I do think it is important to, and it may sound cliche and it may sound trite, but it is a privilege to be a professional athlete and to play for these clubs in any sport. And this is something that any league should certainly hold to a very high standard. The quality of the individuals who are getting the opportunity, the privilege to play Major League Baseball or any sport in this case. And I think the league is going to have to do a very thorough investigation here and not to speculate on what it could be, but I expect Marcelo Zuna to receive a very lengthy suspension from this, uh, perhaps in the same light as Sam Dyson did, who got 162 games after the league had done its investigation. Yeah, he's, he's certainly facing a very lengthy suspension at the least, and and we'll see what's found and what's revealed and, and how this plays out. But, you know, if somebody committed this, this is not somebody that you want associated with your organization. Again, it's just an extremely unfortunate situation. It's a recurring problem in society. It's obviously been a big topic in sports, even in the last decade. I mean, forever, but in the last decade, you know, with you can go back to Ray Rice, Kareem Hunt, Absolutely. and we've talked a lot about this in pro sports. And, and it's just there's no place for it anywhere, and you don't want to employ anybody like that. And, w- again, we'll see how things play out, but you look at this, too, um, from an on-field standpoint, which is – you know, always kind of difficult to do in these situations. But, you know, obviously the Braves have some money tied up there. They just gave Marcel a four-year contract. We'll see how all of that plays out. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic had a really insightful story just breaking down, mm-hmm. you know, the Braves' options and, and how they're going to have to wait and just see. And, you know, Ozuna will probably be placed on the restricted list. But, again, there's just no place for this. And, you know, it's sad that, we continue to talk about this and it's sad that it continues to happen and we'll see how things play out with, with Marcel, but it's a, it's just a terrible situation. There are so many different words you can put on it. And again, it's unfortunate. It's sad. It's detestable. It's so many things that you can say about it. Just, and I know that Ken Rosenthal's piece really delved into a lot of the ins and outs and the workings and kind of a review of what baseball's domestic violence policy has done as far as precedents are concerned when it came to suspensions but also I know a lot of people have kind of reached out and spoken out on this in terms of, I think, along the same lines that we've talked about, Gabe, of is Marcelo Zuna going to put on a Braves uniform again? That's a very real question right now. I think for a lot of people, the answer is very simple, and that just kind of is what it is. But when it comes to the past transgressions of other players and what they've been punished for and what clubs have chosen to do in the aftermath of that, uh, no one's contract has been voided or terminated even though inside of each player contract there is language that speaks about uh, basically being a good citizen and a representative of the club. It's just not necessarily something that there is a precedent for, particularly in the domestic violence realm and the offenders of that particular policy for baseball. I guess it's looked at, if I understood correctly from Ken's article, that Major League Baseball's investigation and the policy is taking precedent over the language in those contracts. So I guess it would be something of a double jeopardy situation. But a club could certainly attempt it. I just don't know how it would play out because it just flat out hasn't happened before. But it's part of the discussion, I guess, to kind of gather all of the facts of 
what are the Braves' options here? What can they do? What will they do? What should they do? Those are all conversations that are going to happen, as you mentioned, as this whole process plays out. Yeah, and to just put it bluntly, there's just no place for domestic abusers anywhere. And, you know, sports leagues just have to crack down on this. Each of them needs to do a better job when it comes to clearing their sport, when something like this happens, just clearing their sport of, of people like this. And, again, it's sad that we're having this conversation. Sure. It's unfortunate Absolutely. all around. Yeah, but it's just a societal problem that stems way, way, way beyond sports, and it's just a sad situation. It definitely is. I think we've covered a lot of the ground as far as that is concerned. I know a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings about this, and justifiably so. And now the Braves, Major League Baseball, uh, will go through the process of gathering all the facts they need to as far as that investigation is concerned. And then, of course, Marcelo Zuna is facing you know legal ramifications from this incident over the weekend where uh, police witnessed at least part of what was going on in the Ozuna household between he and his wife, Genesis. So we'll see how that whole thing plays out. But for now at least from the baseball side of things, as we kind of transition here, what exactly can they do uh, to replace uh, what was supposed to be one of their key hitters this year? Because, you know, a week ago, we were talking about how will the Braves cover for Marcelo Zuna's injury. Now, as we just discussed to open the show here, Marcelo Zuna may not wear a Braves uniform again, so this conversation has shifted dramatically. But in the short term, right now for the Braves, as they put in the starting lineup each and every night for Brian Snitker's club, the options, Gabe, have kind of dwindled down to some reserve outfielders. They brought up Abraham Almonte. They have Ere Adrianza, of course, on their roster. And then it's Guillermo Heredia and Ender Ciarte, who are also available to play some outfield for the Braves on the big league club right now. But these are hardly the names that you would think about when you're trying to replace a key hitter from a year ago, a guy who flirted with the Triple Crown. Yeah, this is where they are now. You have Almonte, you have Adrianza, and you just need those guys to just carry you and get you by and just kind of assess your options. You know, there aren't many impact trades made this time of year. So maybe there'll be something available to them in July. But right now, this is kind of the hand they're dealt. This is what they have to deal with. And so we'll see if Almonte can kind of give them a little spark. You know, obviously, he's a hungry veteran. You've already gotten more out of Heredia than you could have imagined. So, I mean, this is just where they are and you went from you know an outfield situation last year where you had a guy like Adam Duvall and I mean you had the DH for Ozuna and now you're, you're kind of just scraping something together now and uh they're just gonna have to again like they've gotten I mean they've gotten several guys here who have already kind of outperformed what you would have expected out of them and just the way that things are set up now they're, they're just gonna need it again in left field because that's really the only options they have. The Braves do have some prospects. We've seen a little bit of Christian Pache, but I think some time in AAA would probably be helpful for him right now. Drew Waters, of course, is in AAA as well. But, uh, Gabe, looking beyond the Ozuna larger issue and just what the Braves have to do to try to get their 2021 season on track without a guy who was a huge part of their success last year, I think this is going to be yet another challenge for Alex Anthopoulos, who's had a lot of challenges when it came to putting together the 2021 Braves. Yeah, I mean, we've spent most of the season talking about center field. Yeah. And, you know, what an issue that position was. You know, Heredia helped there, but now you have another outfield spot that whoever takes off, if they trade for somebody, the point is there's not an easy answer here, and they're just going to have to keep trying, mixing and matching, and just seeing who can stick. And maybe the answer winds up being somebody from the outside. Mm -hmm. But you're also looking at this time of year that impact players aren't typically traded right now. 
and this team really it needs help as soon as it can get it. The way that this has been trending, you know, you don't really want to wait until the end of July because the schedule really beats up in June. So, I mean, who knows? But they're going to need some of these guys to just step up and kind of do what Heredia did earlier in the year and, yeah. and just kind of have a run where they can stabilize the position for a while and get them by while they continue to assess their options. Yeah, and as you mentioned, this is not really the time of year that you see a lot of big trades. I mean, there are some clubs out there that would be pretty obvious sellers. There's no question about what they're going to be selling. It really is just when are they going to make the decision to do it? Will it be the trade deadline? Would it be before? Could you entice some of these clubs to maybe move a player here or there that might be useful? I don't think you're going to get in and of itself another hitter like the one that you lost, but finding somebody that could make a regular contribution on a pretty regular basis and stop the having to platoon in and out of two different positions in the outfield because, Gabe, essentially that's where we're at now as well. It's Ronald Acuna Jr., and then a pair of platoons, which is not where the Braves saw themselves when they broke camp for spring training not that long ago. But Baltimore Orioles, of course, Detroit Tigers, uh, Minnesota Twins have not done very well. I don't know if they're going to start breaking pieces off of their club just yet. Uh, the Angels have been disappointing. The Rangers, of course, have been in quite the tailspin on the American League side. And then you look at what's going on on the National League side. I don't expect a lot of in-division trades, so you could probably rule those out. The Reds have slumped below 500. The Pirates... Of course, we knew they were going to be a club that was going to have a tough year. The Diamondbacks and the Rockies have both really, really struggled. So it'll be interesting to see if those clubs might make an outfielder available. And if so, what can the Braves take on right now? Because we know financially speaking, the pandemic, I think, has changed a lot of the financial aspects and had a big impact on what clubs are spending, at least in the short term in 2021. So it's hard to really get a gauge on what exactly Alex Anthopoulos can do to address this latest problem for his club trying to fill a hole and avoid as big as losing a guy who was flirting with a triple crown a year ago. You know, Zuna was not having the best season beforehand, but I mean, you know, we, it was obvious when he, when he broke his two fingers, I mean, that was going to be a loss for them uh, production wise. And it's not, no, I mean, you have to look around. You're right. Some of these teams, you know, Arizona, it feels like that's probably a situation where they should be selling off veterans. It seems like there's a rebuild kind of on the horizon there. The Rockies are in a rebuild, it's hard for us to know without knowing who's going to be available and when they're going to be available. And, you know, the Braves might not be in a position where trading a more valuable prospect for a rental, you know, teams don't really do that that much anymore, but it's certainly not ideal. And I know people are going to clamor for Drew Waters and whatnot. Mm -hmm. They're not there yet. He's not ready. Um, And there's, there's just no reason to rush a guy right now. I mean, obviously you saw Pache. I mean, Snit said it the other day. He's like, he had a good NLCS, and we thought he was ready for this fight. He isn't. Right. I mean, that was his quote. So, sure. I mean, he's not ready. If you've watched the games, you don't have to be a scout to realize that he wasn't ready. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they went from uh, they went from a year ago where it was a really strong outfield situation for the most part mm-hmm. to this. And, it, I mean, it's on the list of problems that, on-field problems, I should say, that they're dealing with. It's pretty high up there. Yeah, no, I think it's it's definitely up there right now, probably neck and neck with what exactly is going on with the bullpen and how can you find ways to stabilize that group as well. But, you know, the loss of Adam Duvall certainly doesn't help. I know he's got some power. He's down there in Miami hitting some home runs. He's batting about 200, but you kind of knew what you had with Adam Duvall. Did you want to tender him a contract and pay him 6.5 or $7 million? That was a question the Braves obviously felt was answered with the word no and that doesn't mean they didn't want to bring him back afterwards but that whole thing didn't play out 
in a manner in which there was a reunion there, and it kind of left them scrambling for other pieces. So when they did lose a major outfielder or two, and the plan in center field really just kind of went sideways, the Braves are left with two very large question marks for two very different reasons, of course. Uh, circling back to Drew Waters, I talked about him on the podcast last week. I mean, this is a guy that's played about 50 games in AAA and really hasn't gotten his footing under him there to push things to the point where, if you remember with Austin Riley in 2019, he was hitting so much that he pushed himself into the equation for the Braves as soon as there was an opening for him. That's a little bit different with Drew Waters right now, Gabe. He just hasn't pushed the issue to that point. But if he were to get hot and get on a three- or four-week binge where he really just started to show what he's capable of, I think that the Braves could be convinced to give him a shot, especially if some of these other options that they have right now don't really play out in a productive manner. Oh, yeah. I, I think if he gets you know, if he gets hot, he goes on a run, he could certainly uh, work his way into the conversation, especially if it's later in the summer and the team doesn't acquire anybody, you know? But, yeah, I mean, there's an opportunity here for him if he can get going, but the Braves just aren't under any pressure to rush him, and, and they're not going to force the issue. And you mentioned Riley. I mean, even Acuna, when he first came up, mm-hmm. we know that there was some contractual motivation there sure. as well, but... He was kind of off to a little slow start in AAA, and then he got going for a few games, and they called him up. So I totally get why everyone's eager, and you would rather watch Drew Waters and a potential piece of your future than Certainly. watch Almonte and Adrianza. I totally get that, but they're just they're not going to rush it, nor should they. So I think they're handling it the right way, and if Waters gets to playing well and he kind of forces the issue, then I, I think that he'll probably be rewarded for it at some point. Yeah, I think that he could be kind of circling back to clubs that may be in a position where they'd be selling pieces as soon as right now. With the Diamondbacks really scuffling, a couple of corner outfielders they have, both left-handed hitters, though, would be, of course, David Peralta and Cole Calhoun, who's playing out in Arizona as well. Josh Reddick is another guy that I think could be of some interest to the Braves. Again, we're talking about really short-term fixes and certainly not the kind of bat that you lost when Marcelo Zuna was both injured and now in the position that he's in where you may never see Marcelo Zuna play for the Braves again. If you look at the Pirates, not quite as much excitement there. Gregory Polanco, I guess, is a guy that people were excited about quite a few years ago. He's never really panned out. I don't necessarily look at that as much of an answer. And then I don't really expect either the Nationals or the Marlins to be trading too much to the Atlanta Braves. If you're looking to make some kind of in-division trade, certainly not the Mets and certainly not the Phillies, I wouldn't think would want to help them out uh, whatsoever. But now, the question is going to remain for a while, just in terms of trade partners and what you might find there. I know Texas has Joey Gallo. That's another interesting name that could be thrown around. But all of this right now is just kind of making a, a wish list, if you want to, as a Braves fan of somebody or something that could come in and maybe stabilize the outfield a bit on the corners there, along with Ronald Acuna Jr. Presumably, Gabe, I would think, staying in right field. I don't think the Braves really want to move him back out into center field if they don't have to. No, nor should they. I think he's stationed there. It's just like the Riley at third base. Exactly. Thing. I think yeah. they found the positions they want these guys to handle long-term, and you should just leave them there. You know, you bring up Cole Calhoun. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not specifically him. I mean, I always liked him. He's decent. But a guy along those lines is probably what you're looking at on the trade market. I'm not saying they couldn't go get a bigger name like a guy like Gallo or uh, so, you know somebody like that, but – more than likely, those are typically the guys that are available at a modest cost. Right now, obviously, this team has just not been inclined to trade high-level prospects. And 
I know Joey Gallo kind of gets mixed reviews, but he's probably going to fetch a nice package if they do decide to move him. And some of these other kind of high-level guys that might get traded, they're going to require some nicer prospects. I'm not saying the Braves can't do that or that they won't be in position to do that. Realistically, the odds are on more of a guy like Cole Calhoun, which, you know, that might be fine. Um, is, you know, is that an upgrade over your situation now? Probably. Sure. So, I mean, again, this kind of just shows the tight spot they're in because mm-hmm. if you're looking at this situation and you're going, well, our most realistic upgrade might be somebody like Cole Calhoun. Mm-hmm. That's, it's not a good place. No, um, no offense to him or, or, you know, players of that level. So this team is two games under 500, but they're still in it. You know, I mean, there's still we, we we say this every week we're on here and I laugh about it every week I'm on here, but they're still in it. And we know that a handful of these guys can catch fire and they can work their way back into it. And if you're plugging in a guy, kind of just an average player like Calhoun, just somebody like that, I mean, that could certainly help. So I think that this trade deadline, you know, last one wasn't as interesting. I know they were linked to Clevenger and some of those guys, but it didn't really seem like anything like that was ever going to happen. I think this trade deadline uh, is going to be really fascinating for them. It definitely could be. And in hindsight, getting Mike Clevenger wouldn't have really helped out the Braves that much last year. Either. No, it so, so it's good that they held on to that prospect capital. And I know that's not exciting, especially given that Tommy Malone was what the Braves were trotting out there. And that certainly wasn't the answer to any question. Uh, other than who needs to be designated for assignment after just about every start. And that was unfortunate, but that's where the Braves were when they were trying to find some answers to their starting rotation problem last year. But uh, they had to try something, and unfortunately, that didn't work for him. Very fortunately, though, Ian Anderson worked quite well for him. He was one of the answers they found. Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, guys like that, they're still around this year. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, of course. The rotation is still has a little conversation going around it, not quite as big as the bullpen this year, but... This rotation has been tested quite a bit, but they've pitched better lately, and I think that's an important trend for the Braves. But speaking of which, uh, you brought up the National League East race right now and taking a look at what's happened on the field for the Braves over this past week. They got pounded on Saturday by the Mets in New York. That was sandwiched in between a couple of postponed games, though. The Braves then split a four-game series with a rather unimpressive Nationals club. And despite that, Atlanta's still holding on to second place in the NL East, three and a half games back of the Mets through the games of Thursday. So, uh, Gabe, all things considered, as we keep saying, and I hate to make it sound like we're just trying to be overly optimistic about it, but knock on wood, it definitely could be worse, but this is certainly not where the Braves saw themselves record-wise. Second place in the NL East, if you're fighting it out with the Mets, I think a lot of people looking at spring training thought that's a pretty realistic possibility right there, but the way that it's played out has been wildly different than I think anybody could have imagined for the Braves. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're being optimistic it's reality, and they're fortunate that the Mets just haven't truly gotten rolling. Per that se. may be the but, best word for it. I think the Braves are fortunate yeah. to be where they are right now, despite everything. Yeah, I mean, the Braves have not been fortunate very often this season, to put that bluntly. But in the bigger picture of the division race, the fact that New York hasn't really gotten rolling, the fact that New York has had so many injuries themselves, mm-hmm that they've got, you know, their I.O. list is just ridiculous, and they've been missing so many key offensive players. Again, like, who cares, though? You're still in it, and, you know, you can make these past 50-plus games just not even matter if you get rolling. So for them to still be as close as they are, I mean, they're just lucky because in any other division, usually I hate playing this game, but, you know, if they were in the NL West or Mm -hmm. the AL East, I mean, you look around at the other divisions, we would probably have a different tone on this podcast and just about them, you know, fighting an uphill climb. But 
they're still fighting an uphill climb, but it's it's manageable. It's very manageable with 100-plus games left. So there's no reason to panic, but you're right. This is not where they saw themselves. It's been a very disappointing season. And they're only two games under 500. They're only three and a half games out, but it does feel like a lot more than that on on both of those. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, just you kind of jump around. I mean, the ALEs, just looking at that, is a, a crazy division, as many people expect it to be each and every year. But it's the Rays, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays. If the Mets were in that division, their first place in the NL East, if they were in the AL East just playing this very simple game again, they'd be in fourth place. The Blue Jays are four games over 500. they They'd be the fifth-place team. The Braves would be in sixth place, if you want to call it a mega division or whatnot. I mean, it's just... As you go through and look, sure, all of the first-place clubs in each individual division are going to have a better record than the Braves have right now, and many of them much more competitive than the NL East, which is seems to be in a bit of a transition, if you want to call it that. The Nationals have fallen precipitously in the standings. The Phillies have never really taken off the way that they were hoping when they spent all this money on Bryce Harper and JT Romuto and Zach Wheeler, among others. And then the Marlins have started to make that incremental progress and climb up in the standings and put out a fairly competitive team but the Braves and the Mets, they were the two clubs that I think that most people thought will be fighting for this division. And as of right now, that has been true, just maybe not in the way that you thought it was going to be. But there's a lot of baseball left to be played. The Braves haven't even reached that 60-game mark, which was, of course, what the season was in 2020. But they're creeping up towards that right now as Atlanta has played 54 games as of Thursday and wrapping that four-game series with the Nationals. But I do want to throw this out there, Gabe, because we talked about it when it wasn't so great, but... A very welcome offensive development for Dansby Swanson. He's in the midst of a 12-game hitting streak, batting 362 with five homers, 10 runs knocked in, nine runs scored during that stretch. I don't know if he found some extra sage or something like that laying around, but he's starting to put things together for the first long stretch this year. We know he's been streaky, but this whole hit streak has raised his average from 201 on May the 18th to 238 as of June the 3rd. And I would say, considering everything else we've already discussed and what's been going on for the Braves and their lineup, this is a, a very good time for Dansby Swanson to get things going. Yeah, he has been streaky. You know, he said the other day that he's kind of just gotten back into his routine, and he's just a very uh, rhythm-oriented person. And that's a very kind of generic athlete response, yes. but we have to go with it because that's what he said. So uh, whatever's working for him, uh, clearly it, it's helped him a lot. He's been showing some power. I mean, really, he could have a couple more home runs just over the past few days. Yeah. A couple of really deep flyouts. So some encouraging stuff for him. He was going through just a horrific stretch. Uh, we were talking about Orlando Arcia right. for a while, um, and, and, if, and if that's something that the Braves would consider. So for him to have turned it around like he has, I mean, good for him. Yeah, no, and it was a good time for him to do it because certainly was almost panic switch time for, I would say, a lot of Braves fans as you look through what Dansby was dealing with. I mean, he was batting well under 200 in the previous three weeks before this last couple of weeks in which he's put together that good hit streak. And there was really no production there, and the strikeouts were certainly alarming. He was striking out over a third of the time for the majority of this season. So that's kind of started to come back down a little bit. I mean, it's manageable. Strikeouts are going to be a part of the game uh, no matter where you look pretty much in 2021. There are very few exceptions to that rule. But Dan's been making a lot of solid contact and finally getting rewarded for it as well. And it's a good time him to get things going as the Braves offense needs all the help it can get at the current moment. It can't all be done by Ronald Acuna Jr. or Freddie Freeman or pick one single player. It's going to take much more of a group effort. 
And, of course, in the midst of that is Austin Riley, who's being given a little bit more to do this year batting cleanup these days, which I think is a good spot for him to be. Maybe even if he keeps hitting, you try him maybe a spot higher in the lineup as well. But the Braves have got to figure out some things when it comes to late and close situations. This has been a real Achilles heel for the Braves this year, and it's a big trend that we've monitored as the struggles have compounded for Atlanta time and time again, and it's these losses that have been charged to the bullpen. Uh, You have to score runs to win these games. I mean, these two things go together. It's a dual problem, but Atlanta's 0-8 in games in which they're tied after seven innings. The bullpen's been charged with 14 of Atlanta's 28 losses this year, and those are not the trends of the club game that we've seen the last few years when they seem to thrive in late and close situations to win a baseball game down to their last, what, six, maybe even fewer outs down to their last at bat. This was always a club that seemed to find a way. This year, it has not been that way. This year's Braves have really been the antithesis of the past few years from that respect. I think a lot of fans would agree with this, and I think you would too. In years past, when they're down 3-1 to one in the sixth inning, there was a feeling, you know, if I'm writing my story, I'm not there yet, right? It's like, okay, they'll probably come back and win this game here. If they're facing the Nationals and they're down 3-1, it's like, yep. they'll pull this off. Get into that bullpen. Um, yeah, and, you know, Ozzie had that double in that game that tied it the other night, and it felt like, okay, here they go. They didn't finish it. I mean, maybe we've all just been spoiled watching them do this, <laughs> and now it's just a, a hard regression. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, they were so good in the later innings, and you know they had you know they had that thrilling win over the Phillies earlier this season that I thought was going to kind of wake them up and get them going, and that wasn't the case. But it's been weird because it was such a big part of this team's identity, it was such a big part of this team's identity under Smith, and they're just they're not doing it, and that's a collective effort. Uh, when you're two games under 500, it's, there's multiple issues. It's not just the bullpen. Sure. It's not just the offense sure. or anything, a bad defensive play or, or Contreras' struggles defensively or anything like that. It's just the whole, whole combination of things. So it's been weird to see, obviously, uh, their late-inning struggles or why they're under 500 or why they're not in the, the playoff picture right now. So we'll see if they can get that turned around. But certainly it's been a, uh, it's, it's been a flip from the way they've been the last few years. Yeah, a stark role reversal for the Braves, who used to, as you mentioned, I mean, it didn't really matter what the scenario was. They found a way to win a lot of games that you just didn't expect to win. And that is the course of a long baseball season, like the 162. You're going to win some you're not supposed to. You're going to lose some that you should have won. You hope that it all evens out. And for the Braves this year, it hadn't evened out. Uh, Extra innings, of course, has been just a, a complete disaster for the Braves whether or not it's the extra innings rule or just flat out they're just not getting the job done, which seems to be an offensive issue by and large in most of those games when it's come to some of those extra inning losses. But you like to think that some of these things are going to even out, that some things are going to start going the Braves' way when it comes to winning some close games. I think they've got the talent to do it, but stringing the hits together, you know, having the right performances you need from the bullpen, that would also be helpful. And having the starting rotation give you the continuity of getting you to the sixth inning and beyond every night Those are things the Braves have been looking for, and by and large, they've been getting a lot more of that from the starting rotation. That's been helpful. And when it comes to the bullpen, we know Shane Green's arrival. It appears to be on the horizon here as he's made multiple appearances now in AAA Gwinnett, and that's going to be a lift to the bullpen. There's no two ways about it. But it's been such a sticky situation lately. I I feel like more so than normal because some nights I don't know if Brian Snitker has the options that he needs, if people are available or not available. And in other nights, I'm I'm just not sure what he's thinking with particular matchups, which – 
is not unique to one manager. It's not just Brian Snitker. Every fan base is going to question the manager's decisions about the bullpen, but there have been some really curious ones, I think, this year more so than even in years past. And the bottom line is, I think, Gabe, that the bullpen went from being that big strength in 2020 to a real question mark this year. And a lot of that is due to personnel. And then some of it, of course, is due to performance, right? Yeah, it's a combination. I mean, I think we all knew the bullpen wasn't going to be and again, it was a 60-game season, so that there were a lot of factors there. Um, we knew that the bullpen wasn't going to be as dominant. You lose those guys. But, I mean, it's been just frustratingly inconsistent. I think that when you kind of simplify it here and you're just looking at it on paper, and, and a lot, again, like we, we saw what happened with Mentor. Like there's been issues with some guys that they were counting on. And in theory, like on paper, you put Green back in and you have Green and Martin as two late-inning righties. It's like, okay, sounds yeah. good. And then you have Will Smith, Tyler Matzek, and you have A.J. Minter, and things have not really gone accordingly there. So you look at it like that, and those are your five guys. I mean, those are going to be your – and then you have Luke Jackson, who I know people love beating up on, and there's constantly traffic on base and whatnot. But you look at it, you just need some of these guys to perform up to what you know they can. I mean, that's a really kind of a bland, obvious kind of response here, but – they were counting on these guys. They need them to be at their best. And, of course, they're going to be interested in adding a reliever at the deadline. Pretty much every team is interested in that. Right, or so two. You can safely, yeah, so you can safely put them in that conversation. But that's going to be a super competitive market. I would imagine if there's a controllable, like, high-level reliever available, uh, maybe like Rodriguez and Pittsburgh or, or somebody along mm-hmm. those lines, they're going to cost a lot. Uh, so I think that, you know, you've already got Shane Green, who, like you said, should help them out a lot. But the bottom line is they just need these guys to be consistent and they just need these guys to be who they know they can be. And uh, they just need these guys to be reliable. Yeah. And the weird thing about it seems to be it's like you'll get a couple of good performances from a couple of guys and you'll feel good about that. And then somebody will have their bad outing. And then it, it kind of alternates on who has the bad outing. And then there's games where you start to look at it and you just wonder – why is Josh Tomlin in this game, in this situation? And I guess everybody can manage with the benefit of hindsight, but even with just a little bit of foresight and, and how you feel about which guy fits in which place and you know, not knowing you know who's maybe dealing with a little something, they're not available, you're not going to announce which relievers are not available for you for that game. You're going to kind of manage with the ambiguity of, hey, the other manager is going to look at this lineup card and see, okay, these are the guys that they have. Some of them could come in. We don't know when it's going to be. And then you start playing the matchups. That's the game of chess the managers are typically playing. Sometimes from the outside, I think it looks like a game of checkers, and sometimes it plays out that way. But it's been interesting to see some of the decisions that have been made and uh, and frustrating, I'm sure, and understandably so, for a lot of Braves fans who have been kind of trying to make heads or tails of it. But there have been some nights where, quite frankly, it's just seemed like there's just not a lot of great options for Brian Snitker. And when he has leaned on certain pitchers to do what I think they're capable of doing, they've really faltered. And when you start losing games like that, and then you throw in a couple of blowouts during a week, stuff gets really frustrating really fast. And I think that's led to a lot of the frustration, I'm sure, for the team and certainly for the fan base this year as well. And another kind of frustrating aspect is we talked about how good the starting rotation has been lately. You've gotten a lot more good than bad with uh, the group that's led by Max Fried, Charlie Morton, and Ian Anderson but Drew Smiley continues to struggle, and particularly with giving up home runs. It was problematic again in his start against Washington. Of course, we documented what happened against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, and I know we're way past the debate about, was this guy worth $11 million? I think we, 
unfortunately know the answer to that, but I have to wonder, Gabe, and I'm going to wonder it out loud so we can talk about it, that the Braves might need to just specialize him to two times through the order and then just lean on relievers to get through the rest of that day's innings because I just don't feel like it's in anybody's best interest, particularly the team, to push him too far in these games at this point, unless or until he really starts pitching lights out, which the Braves were hoping for and certainly haven't gotten. I agree. I think that's the solution for right now. Limit him to two times through the order and yeah. just see. Uh, you know, he even brought this up. He was aware of it. He's given up 14 homers. Uh, half of them have had two strikes. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's mentioned that. He's mentioned how frustrating it was. The homer he gave up to Soto the other night was on two strikes. Yeah, it's just not going great with him. So that's what you have to do. Just limit him two times through the order and just see. And, you know, if this persists, across the summer, then there's another conversation to be had about it. Yeah. But for right now, he's in the rotation, and this is what they're dealing with. So you just have to figure out what best way to maximize him and put him in a position to succeed. Yeah, and that really seems to be the very simple answer is if you're getting enough of what you like through what seems to be about five innings, at least four or five innings, by going two times through the order, not allowing very many hits, walks don't seem to be a big problem for him, you know, night in and night out either. But that third time through the order, the last couple of times in particular, you can really underscore that's where the opposing team seems to be laying in wait. And they've gotten a couple of looks at them, and then they've managed to come up with a game plan that, for the opponents, has worked out rather well, particularly in the case of the Red Sox. And, of course, Juan Soto's a next-level hitter. I mean, he's an elite bat, but those are the kind of things that you have to be thinking about beforehand, before that happens. Who are you going to have facing Soto when he comes up the third time? Do you want to have Smiley facing the top of the order a third time through. I know you want the innings, so there's that trade-off that you get, and that's in a very old-school way. Of course, you want your starter to pitch as long as he can. And, of course, if he's pitching well, it seems you know counterintuitive to take him out. But in some cases, whereas I might give Charlie Morton a longer leash or Max Freed another chance to go back out there and maybe get me another couple of tough outs that I need before going to the bullpen, I just don't feel like the equity is there in Drew Smiley. And it can't just be about, hey, we've paid him $11 million, so we're just going to continue running this exercise over and over again and just expecting the results to be different. I think that you have to start attacking this problem a little bit differently. And for the Braves, a team that seems to have a a very big interest in analytics, and that seemed to be a big part of why they signed Drew Smiley to begin with, wouldn't you want to maximize what you're getting out of him, even if it's less than perhaps you wanted, at least you're getting the best that you can, and I just don't think that they've been doing that lately. Some of it, of course, is going to be performance, which is laid at the feet of Drew Smiley, and I'm sure he's frustrated about the 14 home runs because, uh, Gabe, that's a lot of home runs and not a lot of starts. Yeah, I mean, he should be frustrated. He's not having a great season. Obviously, he's disappointed in it. You know, the team, I'm, I'm sure, is disappointed. So I just I agree with everything you just said. I really don't have that much to add. Sure. I think that you just have to attack this differently now, and that's kind of the first step. Uh, and just see how it unfolds. And if you can lengthen the leash on him or if maybe another change needs to be made later, then you can do that. But right now it just seems like that's kind of the obvious, simple solution. Yeah, and I think that this problem with Drew Smiley, not to just continue on too much longer, but to bring it full circle, the problem has been magnified by the fact that you lost Mike Soroka for what looks like what could be the entire season. They haven't ruled him out yet, but – He's nowhere close to returning. You lose Waskari Noah right after he gets going uh, to an unfortunate injury. And then you are really leaning on Max Freed, Charlie Morton, and Ian Anderson. And the results have been, I think, at least encouraging, especially lately for all three of those men. 
I like that three right there, but fixing those other two spots in rotation or filling those other two spots has been a real challenge this year. And on the plus side, Bryce Wilson has looked good. I think Tucker Davidson has looked solid in his early work and opportunities this year. So there are options if this smiley thing continues to be problematic. And the last thing I feel like that they need to do, though, is stick with something that's not working simply because the money was invested there. For a club that's struggling in so many other facets, I just don't feel like they can afford to limit their own options or they shouldn't be trying to limit themselves based purely on the investment they made over the winter. Plans change. Things change. Performance should dictate a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, you're fortunate in that you have Bryce Wilson, who's, you know, he's looked pretty solid his last few times out. And now Tucker Davidson has kind of come on and you're, hey, we might have something here. So you do have a couple of guys here that are going to continue to get looks with spot starts and get worked into the rotation and everything. So, you know, they came into the year and they said that they were pretty comfortable with their starting pitching depth this year. And that's been tested a little bit. And uh, while it was a little rocky early, I think that Wilson and Davidson, with the way that they've performed lately, uh, have you feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, they should have you feeling a little bit better about that, particularly in the case of Bryce Wilson, who I felt like with what he did in the NLCS last year, earned the opportunity at the very least the fifth spot in the rotation. And you can see what he might be able to continue to give you. But it's been a lot more good than bad with him this year, I would say, is the easy way to put it. So as we wrap up here, I want to look really quickly at the Fangraphs wins above replacement leaderboard for the Braves. If you had Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top of that list, then, well, you probably were making the safe bet, the safe assumption, because Ronald's been very good this year. He's got a 2.7 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. Behind him, though, the next two most valuable Braves players, Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley at 1.6 and 1.4 wins above replacement. With his hot streak lately, Dansby Swanson just vaulted ahead of Freddie Freeman. So that's probably not the order that you had the five most valuable Braves hitters in 2021 to be. Freddie, I think, is hit into some bad luck, of course, as illustrated by his very low batting average on balls and play. But it's an interesting group to look at. Acuna at the top, then a bunch of question marks. And on the flip side of the pitchers, Ian Anderson and Charlie Morton, your two most valuable pitchers, and Will Smith right behind them. So all guys you wanted to contribute but not necessarily the order you would have expected them to see. But we're also not dealing with a super small sample size anymore as we're over a third of the way through the season. Yeah, the thing that jumps out there is Freddie, right? And we, we've spent all season kind of talking about mm-hmm. him and, and the bad luck that he's had. I mean, you continue to think eventually the, the tide will turn. It still hasn't. So, we'll, again, we'll just see how it plays out. Obviously, there's the contract situation looming after the season, but – you know, it's been a tough year for him. It's easy to see why he's been frustrated. Even yesterday, he hits that ball, and it goes right at Castro. And he's just, again, he just hasn't gotten a lot of breaks on the field there. It's, and then Acuna, of course. Um, I think he's still the favorite for NL MVP. Last time I checked with Vegas there. So, obviously, he's having a great season. Um, he's been the highlight of the Braves season. I think that, you know, all-star voting is open now, and, I mean, you look at it, and I I would think that Acuna and Riley, third base is tough, but I I would think that those two guys are, you know, really in the thick of it. And and on the pitching end, I mean, Ian Anderson, I think you've kind of gotten everything that you would want to see out of him as far as just how he's progressed, you know, in his first full season here. So that's really promising. I still, like, you watch Charlie pitch, like, his stuff is just so good, and for him to, you know, still be rolling at 37 like he is is really impressive. So, yeah, I mean, my main takeaway there just goes back to the Freddie conversation and, and, you know, the tough luck that he's had this year. Mm-hmm. And everyone's just kind of waiting to see uh, when things start to turn around for him. 
And just looking at a stat that I threw out last week, batting average on balls put in play, there are 144 qualified hitters, according to fan graphs. Freddie Freeman's batting average on balls put in play is 224, which is 140th out of 144 qualified hitters in all of baseball. It's by far the lowest of his career. In fact, for Freddie, it's his lowest BABIP since 2012. So a lot of statistical trends and anomalies, if you will, that are kind of playing into Freddie Freeman's early bad luck. His strikeout rate, his walk rate, pretty much in line with his MVP season last year. I don't want to hit the panic button on the guy because I'm watching him play with the eye test. It would appear that you know Freddie Freeman's making some contributions in terms of hitting the ball hard. He's just not being rewarded for it right now. So we'll, of course, wait for that patented Freddie hot streak that usually happens at some point in the summer sooner than later would be great for the Braves as they are going to face Gabe. As you mentioned, a very tough schedule coming up. So let's kind of put a bow on this episode and talk about what the Braves are going to be facing. And it happens this weekend, and it's the Los Angeles Dodgers, who you might be surprised to know are the third-place team in the National League West. They're two games behind the Giants, one game behind the Padres, so a nice three-team race going on out there. As I mentioned, the Braves are in second place in the NL East. They're two games under 500. They've got three games coming up against the Dodgers. Clearly, these two clubs have a lot of history in the playoffs last year and again in 2018. The Braves would love to take a series from the Dodgers and get themselves back in position to get the 500 and beyond, go on a bit of a winning streak, but it's going to be a kind of a tough schedule for the Braves coming up. they got the Phillies and the Marlins. They'll be on the road for that, and then they'll come home to welcome the Red Sox and the Cardinals, and then four games against the Mets, thanks to one of those postponed games, is going to be made up a little bit later this month. But looking ahead over the next couple of weeks, Gabe, this is going to be a pretty tough schedule for the Braves. It's tough. And Charlie Morton said it a few days ago. He was talking about June, and he said, you know, I don't want to say this month will make or break us, but this is the month that kind of either gets us into the mix or is going to make things really tough. And that's probably the best way to put it. You know, if you have a bad month, it's going to be really tough. So if they work their way back into it, they'll have earned it. They'll be beating some real, like, playoff-caliber teams, uh, starting with the Dodgers. You know, I'm not sure that professional athletes need any extra motivation or extra juice, but Mm -hmm. there should be a little bit when you're playing the team that broke your heart last October. Yeah, They've got Arias, uh, Kershaw, and Bauer. Um, Not exactly an easy slate of pitchers for them to face. So we'll see uh, how the offense fares against those guys. And then just a big NL East road trip there. And then you're playing teams like the Cardinals and the Red Sox. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, a lot of fun players are going to be playing against the Braves, some fun teams. So, you know, if you're just someone who enjoys baseball and competitive baseball, then, you know, it's going to be pretty fun to watch. But this is a huge month for the team. We'll see about July, but this could determine their approach at the trade deadline. This is going to determine, you know, whether they're going to be hanging around in this thing. We'll see how New York fares this month, too, if they can finally build some separation or if the Braves can catch up to them. So I got to say, I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to just see how it unfolds and, and to see, you know, how this team handles it because it's just a lot of high level teams. And I think that the Braves can be obviously one of those high level teams. And if their play can match the teams that they're facing, then I think that they'll be uh, heading in the right direction to turn this thing around. Yeah, they certainly want to, and it could start this weekend, but it's going to be an uphill climb. As you mentioned, the Dodgers throwing three great arms at the Braves, the pitching matchups for beginning on Friday night. The opener of the three-game series between the Braves and the Dodgers at Truist Park, it will be Julio Urias and Ian Anderson. Then it's Clayton Kershaw and Charlie Morton in Game 2 on Saturday night. And then Sunday afternoon, you got Max Fried facing Trevor Bauer. So it'll be interesting uh, viewing to watch these two clubs meet for the first time since the NLCS. But for the Braves, putting that aside, just winning a series and continuing to win series, that's what they need to concentrate on doing through a very 
tough part of their schedule. I was kind of joking last week about the dog days of summer arriving a little bit early for the Braves, but typically when you save that for late July or maybe August, I think the Braves are getting a good taste of that coming up here as they face some very tough teams and some clubs that typically in the past, including the Cardinals, of course, we know that. There's no love loss between those two teams either. And a lot of road games for the Braves this month as well. Quite a few things for them to contend with, and uh, they're going to need guys like Dansby Swanson, Ozzie Albies to step up. They're going to need you know, a lot from the starting rotation in terms of stability, and they'll be very happy to welcome Shane Green back sooner than later as well into that bullpen mix to help get them heading in the right direction. But to really come full circle to all of this, I'm sure for the Braves, just as it was for Braves fans, you know, a very difficult week when it came to the off-the-field news about Marcelo Zuna. You know that has an effect on these guys in the clubhouse as knowing that, you know, this was a guy that was their teammate that they, you know, went to battle with each and every night. And this is something that's out of their control and out of their hands. But, you know, nobody on these other teams is going to feel sorry for the Braves. Just in general, they're going to have to find a way to compartmentalize and go out there and compete and overcome an obstacle that, unfortunately, is bigger than the game. Yeah. But, you know, this upcoming stretch they have here, if they can get some wins over some good teams, that's the kind of success and that's the kind of stretch that can really uh, flip the season for you. So, you know, things go one way or another here, but uh, certainly they have an opportunity and we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. Well, Gabe, I appreciate all your time as always. Look forward to catching up with you again very soon. Absolutely. My thanks again to Gabe Burns for all his time. Again, make sure you're following him on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC. That'll wrap us up for this week on From the Diamond. As always, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I appreciate your ratings and reviews and all the shares and likes. Very much appreciate your support of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. The show is at From the Diamond underscore. And you can find me on Instagram at Grant McCauley, the show at From the Diamond. And everything, including all the episodes of the podcast, any videos and articles, and so much more at fromthediamond.com. So that does it for this week's episode. I look forward to talking with you all again next week right here on From the Diamond. For Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.